If you would, again, brothers and sisters, whether here or at home, open the scriptures with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Thanks be to God for his good word. Two days ago, three Christians were worshiping God in a church in Paris, France when an Islamic man from Tunisia entered the church wielding a knife. He attacked all three, nearly beheading one of the victims and killing the other two as well. And there was no obvious reason for the attack other than the fact that the three victims were worshiping. They were Christians who were worshiping God in church. They suffered for doing good. Yesterday, you may have seen that SEAL Team 6 rescued a man named Phil Walton, a 27-year-old missionary in Niger. Phil was abducted from his home in the middle of the night early last week, and his kidnappers took him across the border into Nigeria, where American Special Forces found him and rescued him before he would have otherwise been tortured, killed, or most likely sold. Phil suffered for doing good. This past August, 33 Christians in five communities in Nigeria were killed in what what appeared to be a coordinated attack of persecution against the followers of Jesus. They suffered for doing good. And in fact, Open Doors Ministry estimates that 245 million Christians around the world are currently under the threat of persecution. That is one in nine Christians around the globe. One in nine under the threat of suffering for doing what the Lord would have them to do, for doing good. Now, we know that persecution takes on many forms, We know that persecution has varying levels of severity to it. We also know that the threat of persecution for the followers of Jesus is nothing new. In fact, one of the main reasons why Peter writes this letter, the book that we call 1 Peter, is to encourage those Christians who are under the threat of persecution. During the reign of Nero, 
During the time of the early New Testament, Christians were mocked and tortured and covered in animal skins and torn apart by dogs and even hung on crosses that lined the roads, all in an attempt to make a spectacle of them and of their faith. And so when Peter writes of suffering, this was the reality that many Christians in the first century had undergone. And it is a reality that many Christians throughout history have been dealt. And it is the reality that you, in some ways, in some forms, may even expect as a follower of Jesus Christ. We see in this book of 1 Peter that Peter pivots from the conduct of Christians in submission to how to navigate the dynamic of suffering. And it's shocking. It has to be shocking to some of them when he writes them and he tells them to submit to the authorities over them in chapter 2 because God had placed them there. And in chapter 3, not to repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but bless. Because for this you were called to be a blessing that you may obtain a blessing. Now you might think that when you hear those words in the context of 1 Peter, in the context of persecution and suffering, that this would be shocking. But perhaps not. Perhaps not. How they can live this way. By extension, how we could live this way is that we could have a greater perspective on what is truly happening in the world around us. And that's where Peter starts this small section. He starts it with a rhetorical question. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? That sounds in some ways to be incredibly cheeky. People are suffering. Who is there to harm us for doing good? Well, how about that guy and that guy and that guy and that guy and that guy? (laughs) But the rhetorical question needs no answer because he says, just in the previous verse before, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so if this is true, then Peter starts this section moving from submission to suffering. And what he's saying is, is that even though your present circumstances bring you suffering, this will not be to your ultimate harm because God is looking at you. And so, verse 14 We need not fear the persecutors. You know, fear is an interesting dynamic, isn't it? It's an interesting dynamic in life, in the Christian life. Suffering, no doubt, makes us afraid, afraid to do the things that God calls us to do. In fact, the reason why persecutors do what they do is so that Christians would be afraid. And in their fear that they would be inhibited and in their inhibition that they would take a step back and just blend into the culture around them. In 1975, Roger Hart conducted a study on where children felt safe to play. He focused on 86 children 
between the ages of 3 to 12 in a small town in Vermont. Hart would follow the kids throughout the day, documenting everywhere that the children went by themselves. He then took all of that information and he compiled a physical map that measured the distance that each child was allowed to go by themselves and what the average was for each age group. Hart discovered that these kids had remarkable freedom. Even four- or five-year-olds traveled unsupervised throughout their neighborhoods, and by the time they were ten, most of the kids had the run of the entire town. And the kids' parents weren't worried either. Then several years ago, about 2014, Hart returned to the same small town to document the children of the children that he had studied in the 70s. And when he asked this new generation of kids to show him where they played alone, he found something that floored him. Hart said, they just didn't have very far to take me, just really walking around their property. And that was about it. In other words, the huge circle of freedom that the previous generation had enjoyed had grown rather tiny over the years. He added, there was no free range outdoors. Even when kids are older, parents now say, I need to know where you are at all times. But what's odd about all of this is that the town is not more dangerous than it was before. Literally, there is no more crime today in this small town in Vermont than there was 40 years ago. And so why has the invisible leash between parent and child tightened so much? Hart says it was absolutely clear from his interviews. The reason was fear. Fear. And here's the conclusion to the new study. Fear of the world outside your door narrows the circle of your life. Fear of the world outside of our doors narrows the circle of our lives. In the same way, Christians fear, fear of the world and its persecution narrows the circle of freedom in which you engage in what God calls you to do. Fear of ridicule, fear of a narrowing career opportunity, even fear of persecution or possible suffering. This limits the freedom in the Lord and it narrows seemingly our willingness or it can narrow our willingness to be faithful servants of Jesus. And so Peter the one who has experienced persecution already himself, the one who has already been imprisoned himself, is now writing to Christians who are on the run, and he remembers the words of Jesus himself when he says in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both the body and soul in hell. Or Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and on. He says, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? God knew his children before the foundation of the world. 
He knows the number of hairs on their heads. He knows the depth of their sin, the limited resources of their courage, the frailty of their physical bodies. And if they now suffer, this too is not outside the bounds of God's knowledge. Because nothing on planet Earth happens outside of his care for them. The rhetorical question, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? If God is for you, Peter says, who can be against you? Here's the reality. The reality is that the resurrection of Jesus removes the fear of death for the Christian. And herein lies the good news and the hope of the gospel. When you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the Son of God forgives you. You are restored to God the Father. You can be sure that God is for you and not against you. You can be sure that no matter what your eyes tell you about the threat in front of you, what your body tells you, not, no matter what the world tells you, you can be sure that God himself loves you and cares for you. You can rest your life in God. You can take confidence in Romans chapter 6 it says for the death he died he died to sin once and for all but the life he lives he lives to God so you also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ and so this is what it means when Peter says in verses 13 and 14 have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. You can have confidence as you walk through life. No matter what you see and no matter what you feel and no matter what pressure is upon you and no matter what threat lies before you, you can have confidence as you walk through life. No fear in persecution, but freedom to fulfill all that God has you to fulfill. And if you, my friend, hasn't made that decision today, if you have not yet put your faith in Christ to have that relationship with God explicitly, we call it a, a moment of decision, a, a faith action that's attached to it, then I invite you today to indeed trust him. I think what Peter is getting at here is that for those who fear the Lord, and by fear the Lord, we don't mean be afraid, we mean revere. By those who fear the Lord, they will be delivered from their own fears. Those who fear the Lord will be delivered from their own fears. And from there, he encourages the Christians, he encourages you and me to make a defense. Look at verse 15. He says, be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, when you hear this verse, some of you might immediately allow your mind to go to a logical defense. When we make a defense, we think of a defense attorney. <laughs> and 
You think of well-reasoned arguments for your faith. You think about engaging philosophy or worldview. You think about knowing all the details of the Bible so that when somebody asks you why you believe what you believe, you can impress upon them that this faith of yours is reasoned and logical and sound. We call that apologetics. Apologetics very simply means to make a reasoned argument or justification for something. And there's a whole field of Christian studies that engage in this realm of apologetics. And those things are good and they're helpful and they're uplifting for you as you study them. It's really good to know what, to know what you believe about the Lord. But I don't think that that's exactly what Peter has in mind here. It would seem here that when Peter talks about being prepared to make a defense, he's not talking about the mind. He's talking about your life. Your life becomes the apologetic for the gospel as you live a certain way, even in the midst of suffering. Your life becomes the apologetic for the gospel as you live in a particular way, even in the midst of suffering. Follow the logic with me. We see it. We got to step back a little bit into chapter 2 to see it. Why can a persecuted people submit to the government over them, even if that government is persecuting them? Chapter 2. Because they trust that God has placed those government officials there. Why can a mistreated employee submit himself or herself to an unjust employer? Chapter 2. Because they've seen the example of Jesus being mistreated and living righteously and they are called to do the same. Why can a wife, chapter 3, submit to a non-Christian husband? Well, because they trust, Peter says, in the promises and provision of God like the holy women of old. And now in chapter 3, the immediate section preceding this one, why can Christians seek humility and unity and love and to be a blessing to a world around them that mistreats them? Because they know that if God is for them, that that is what matters the most. This, my friends, is what we call hope. A living hope that carries them through the days. And so when a person has hope in the Lord, they can be ready to show the world through their gentle and respectable ways, verse 15, what it means to live under the greatness of God and the love of Jesus, even in the midst of difficulty, of pain, of persecution, and suffering. This is where faith and hope come together. They have confidence in God. They have confidence in God as the one who places rulers and authorities and employers and marriage relationships in place. And because of that confidence, they hope, they have a living, certain hope of what will come for them and for the world around them. That is how he can ask the question, Who's there to harm you, even though they're being harmed? (laughs) 
Because when you take a step back and you look past your immediate circumstances, you see God. And when you trust him, that gives you hope that sees you through those difficult circumstances in front of you. And hope is an extraordinary witness to the power of the gospel. Beckloff Havel, who's a Czech poet and former president, experienced years of oppression and persecution under communist rule, and he later observed, I am not an optimist because I am not sure everything ends well, nor I am a pessimist because I am not sure that everything ends badly. I just carry hope in my heart. Life without hope is an empty, boring, and useless life. I cannot imagine that I could strive for something if I did not carry hope in me. I'm thankful to God for this gift. It is as big a gift as life itself. Those who fear the Lord will be delivered from their own fears. And that leads then to the practical implication that's just peppered throughout these few short verses. The practical implication is simply this. Keep doing good. (laughs) Keep doing good. There's this one word that reoccurs again and again and again. I wonder if you noticed it. It is the word good. (laughs) Look with me. Verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? Verses 15 and 16. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Verse 16. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ. Verse 17. It is better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. Doing good, good conscience, good behavior, doing good. (laughs) Keep doing good. Why is that so important to remember? Because when you are suffering or because when things are difficult or because you are under the thumb of persecution, you are tempted to abandon the very good things that got you into that predicament in the first place. And this is where this word for Peter, from Peter, starts to land pretty close to home. Because, my friends, the world around us is continuing to grow in its intolerance to Jesus. This is not a surprise to you. We could list examples of examples from your very own life that if you felt the freedom that you wanted to express the things of God, things might look differently. What will suffering look like for you? And how will you respond graciously? In two th- maybe you'll be like Noah Reiner. In 2005, Noah Reiner was the president of the Dartmouth Student Assembly. 
And he spoke at the convocation welcoming new freshmen to the campus, a traditional responsibility of the student body president. And in his speech, he said that the knowledge, the acquisition of knowledge was less than what they should be striving for during their years at college. He said that the development of character was something of equal and even greater importance. And he added that character has a lot to do with sacrifice, laying our personal interests down for something bigger. The best example of this is Jesus. He knew the right thing to do. He knew the cost would be agonizing torture and death, and he did it anyway. That's character. Noah Reiner went on to talk briefly about what Jesus achieved on the cross. What do you think the reaction was? Inevitably, the reaction was controversy. Reiner was ridiculed publicly and privately. Some disagreed with what he said completely. Some disagreed but defended his right to say it. And perhaps there were no more insightful uh, reflections from all of the brouhaha than from Reiner himself, who said this. He said, the problem is not that Dartmouth has a formalized speech code. That would be easy to deal with and easy for students to break. The problem is that Dartmouth has a speech culture where some topics are off-limits and some perspectives shouldn't be uttered. In other words, in this very tolerant world, there are some things that are intolerable. And you know that to be true. And this is what you will experience. For some of you in your workplace, for some of you at the Thanksgiving table, for some of you in social circles. But remember, those who fear the Lord will be delivered from their own fears. I wonder how many of you homeschool your children. In this part of the country, it seems like there's a fair number of us that have chosen that route of education. In 2004, in the Russian city of Beslan, Islamic terrorists took 1,200 people hostage in a public school. They ultimately slaughtered 344 people, and 186 of them were students. On a smaller scale, here in the United States, we saw the slaughtering of 13 people at Columbine High School and a number uh, in Sandy Hook as well. And in the wake of such events, it's not surprising that Many schools have run drills so that the teachers and students alike will have an idea of how to react if such violence were to enter the school system, locking classroom doors, staying below windows, and so forth while coordinating with police to resolve the threat. Here's something interesting. In New Jersey, in April of 2007, one such drill was run by the Burlington Police Department, and who were the mock terrorists supposed to be? homeschooling Christian fundamentalists. Three years earlier, a small drill in Muskegon County, Michigan, featured homeschooling wackos who detonated a bomb on a school bus. Some local exasperation followed, but you can imagine what would have happened if the mock terrorists would have been depicted as turbing-wearing Islamic jihadists. Can one think of a single instance when organized Christian homeschoolers threatened, let alone carried out terrorist violence? I don't think I can. And yet it makes you wonder, 
will you suffer for doing good? Those who fear in the Lord will have their fears delivered. Or maybe your suffering might be like the suffering that costs you something a little bit different. Like Brendan Eich. Brendan Eich was the former CEO of Mozilla and the founder of JavaScript. He was forced to resign from his company a number of years ago because of an uprising that occurred when it was found out that he gave a mere $1,000 to support Proposition 8 in California, which was the bill to support traditional marriage. And the CEO was forced to resign. Or maybe your suffering will be like Amy Coney Barrett, who was ridiculed just a few weeks ago in her Supreme Court hearing for her family's involvement in a long-standing praise and worship group, suffering for doing good. Or maybe, for some of you, the Lord will call you to some more severe suffering, like 55-year-old Roberta Edwards, who was the director of Sunlight's children's home in Haiti. It was an orphanage. When one day, gunmen stopped her car and shot her to death and abducted the four-year-old who was with her. Why would someone want to kill a woman for caring for orphans in the name of Jesus? And we wonder, and you think, about your own life, will I have to suffer for doing good? And the answer is most likely yes. (laughs) In some way, in some form, with some severity. But for those who fear the Lord, they will be delivered from their own fears. And what does that deliverance look like? We get just a glimpse of it in the book of Revelation. And I close with reminding you, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, in this vision of the end times, we enter the throne room and the apostle John writes, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried out in a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, those who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And then just one chapter later, in Revelation 7, 9 through 12, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
and to all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Those who fear the Lord will be delivered from their own fears. Let's pray. Father, increase our faith, strengthen our resolve. Help us to fear you above men. Give us courage and discipline to keep doing good, even when things look like and feel like they are really bad. For your glory and in anticipation of your deliverance. Amen.